so we've been doing this series called Original Blessing, looking at Genesis 1 and 2, and we'll be doing that today and next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, we're actually going to jump into Genesis 3 and look at uh, what I'm calling Shalom Shattered, uh, Original Blessing Broken, and uh, how that unfolded in the biblical narrative and uh, what God's plan of redemption entails for all creation. Uh, today... I'm super thrilled uh, to have Luis Rocha here with us. Luis, if you'd make your way up. So as he's on his way, I want to remind you of this uh, um, formational learning community I'm going to be doing starting in September. Uh, Can you have the next slide? It shows the dates, I believe. Yes, uh, second and fourth uh, Sunday of each month. I mean Wednesday. I said that last week, too, I think, Sunday. So second and fourth Wednesday of each month, and we're going to do it uh, in the fall, and then we'll do it again in the winter, spring. And we're going to, in the fall, use Richard Rohr's book, Everything Belongs, as a springboard for conversation and practices. And then in the winter, spring, we'll use Barbara Brown Kaler's book, An Altar in the World. So uh, I'm not buying a load of these books. Uh, So if you want to be a part of this, please purchase your own book. Uh, I heard it's pretty easy to get books these days. Um, So uh, purchase your own book, and please come September 12th. If you're planning to come, please just drop me a note at matt at bamerin.org so I know how many people are planning on it. All right? Uh, Luis, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, So Luis and Claudia are members of Bamerin here, and they're both scientists at the Academy of Sciences in the city. And because we are doing this series, and given his expertise in so many areas in the sciences, I uh, asked Luis if he would be willing for me to interview him for a Sunday about his work and about the intersection of faith and science. And uh, thanks for agreeing. Uh, let's, let's just jump right in, uh, share a little bit about your story and your current work. Um, yeah, so my story with science begins when I was probably younger than most of the kids I see around here. Um, I was in third grade and I had my first science class and I was so amazed by it. The teacher brought in a tank with with freshwater fish in it and he changed the pH of the water and showed us how the behavior of the fish changed. And uh, I asked him, what does someone that does that for a living does? He said, he's a biologist. So I said, from that date on, I said, I'm going to be a biologist and that's what I am. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, so this was in Brazil. It was was in Brazil, yeah, Yeah. a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your journey from third grade. So you uh, had it in your mind, this is what I want to do. I, I was reading a little bit of your bio mm-hmm. on uh, the Academy's website, and you talked about it. how old were you when you had a huge tank? Yeah, in I was in high school. I had, I think I had about 2,000 gallons of water between tanks in my room, in the living room, and outside, and <laughs> I think it was always fish and, um, and the ocean. Yeah. So. Always had a good connection with the ocean. I grew up in a coastal city in Brazil, so I always went snorkeling and swimming and surfing, always in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, So your journey from Brazil to eventually the academy, what did that look like? Yeah, so I I went to college in Brazil. I did my master's. I got my master's in zoology in Brazil. And then I came to Florida, to the University of Florida, where I got my PhD in evolutionary biology. 
and then I did a couple of postdocs. So as an academic, we had to move a lot. I think I moved, the California run now is the longest place we've lived in since, yeah, since I left Brazil. I spent four years in Florida, then we spent two years in Panama, two years in Hawaii, three years in Texas, and now we've been here for seven years. And you're planning to stay. This is it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, the job is good. The area is nice. It's by far the nicest place we've lived in, Hawaii included. <laughs> um, it's nice there, but has a few problems like everything else. Sure, yeah. So uh, would you share with us a little bit about the intersection of faith and your work? Uh, you know, for me, I think about us all showing up here on a Sunday, and all of you have different vocations. Uh, whether it's uh, working from home with children or in construction or real estate or law or film or whatever it may be. Uh, and uh, I believe the, the biblical look at vocation is that these are all God-ordained vocations, uh, that it's not just like pastors or missionaries or people in vocational ministry that have God's ordained look on that vocation. Every one of us in this room has a God-ordained vocation, and you've been called to something for a season, and God has anointed you for it, and he has uh, uh, put something within you to do this, and it, it brings him glory, and you get to impact people in your, your places of work, and, and so when I think about Luis and Claudia and what they do in the sciences, like what a great opportunity to have people of faith and looking at science and what this means for the planet, and so I, I'd love to hear from you, uh, what does it look like for you to look at the intersection of faith in science, especially when in some circles it feels like some Christians can say faith and science are at odds, or some scientists can say faith and science are at odds, uh, when it seems to me they're beautifully integrated, and I, I wonder what that looks like for you in your work. Right, right. I think, to me, I don't see them as competing. I see them as mostly, like, almost the opposite. Um, one requires evidence and testing, and the other one requires faith. And um, yeah, I really don't like when people try to use science to prove things in the Bible or use the Bible as a scientific test. I think they're um, completely opposed. If you were to find evidence for anything in the Bible, then you'd require faith. And that's the opposite of what's there. Um, let me give you an example. If, if you went to the roof of this building and jumped down, I said, you'll go to the roof of the, this building, and you're gonna jump, and you're gonna fall on the ground. That statement will require evidence, and we could test it, and we could send 10 people out there. I mean, if they weren't crazy enough, and they would jump, and they would fall to their faces, and they'd break a few bones. Um, and that would explain gravity, um, which is a scientific theory. And theory, by the way, is a word that has very different meanings in science and in the, for the general public. In the scientific circles, theory means something that is widely supported by repeated testing and evidence, and for the public, it means that's something that is unproven, so they're mostly almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. So that would be a way to prove gravity, but if I said, if you go to the roof of this building and you pray enough, and God answers your prayer, um, you can float down and just softly land, and that would be untestable and, uh, and require faith for you to believe in me. So science requires evidence and acceptance based on testing and observations, and the Bible and, and Christianity and what we do here requires faith. So I don't think they're competing at yeah. all. I, I, I don't recommend going 
to the roof of the building and praying. Uh, I don't think anybody that, would, that, because that, I think everyone <laughs> accepts gravity. But <laughs> Let's trust science on that one. Yeah. <laughs> God created science, and gravity works. Uh, <laughs> uh, so how does faith inform your work? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, try, I tend to keep them separate, so I don't use it too much. I, I, yeah, uh, one of the questions you had there that I kind of was having a hard time answering was how do you see uh, God in, in, in nature? And um, I know the processes so well that I don't really see. To me, it's like asking a car mechanic, how do you see God in, mm. in a car? So you know everything, you know how to the parts of the parts go together and um, you don't really see it there. It's the same thing for me with nature. Mm. I kind of feel like I know the artist because I know the, the, the creation so well, but yeah. I don't necessarily see it everywhere. Yeah, interesting. Um, so in this series, Original Blessing, we've been talking about uh, how God blesses the creation. God calls it good over and over again. God declares creation good. Um, and there are two blessings in Genesis 1. The second one is to humans. God blesses them. But the very first one uh, comes in the context of God creating uh, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And, and God says this. Uh, I don't have the next slide. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Uh, would you comment a little bit on how you, what you think of that original blessing to the creatures? Yeah, so I think that all those blessings are probably an indication to us that we shouldn't completely destroy them. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of environmental messages in the, in the Bible that people take the other way. They take it to mean that uh, we should use everything up, but I think it's the opposite. Um, if you have parents that leave you an inheritance, you don't go and squander it and buy just silly things with it. You kind of try to sustainably use it and make it long, last as long as, as possible and, I don't know, maybe invest it and turn it into even more wealth instead of just using it at will. Yeah. So that makes me think of another question that we didn't talk about, but your, your analogy of uh, inheritance and investing it, that what might that look like in our engagement with the earth, mm -hmm. uh, investing in it? rather right. than just using it. Right, right. Um, mm, I think oil is a good example. I mean, you can think of the oil fields out there as a, as a, a, a bank account. And when you drive your car, you're burning it, mm. <laughs> like literally. But it could be used in a car that drives by renewable energy. Um, it's a little less bad. I mean, the, even the best electric cars there still use uh, quite a bit of energy to be made, but um, it's a little bit better than just burning the oil. But there's several different things that you could do to reuse less or use the earth or its resources more sustainably. Yeah. Um, so there's this text in the book of Job. It says, ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Uh, what do you think about that text? How, how uh, do creatures, how does the earth, how, how are those physical elements in the creatures, how are they our teachers? Right, right. Um, yeah, when you study biology, you find quickly learn that there's only one thing driving life on earth, other than human life, and it's just the sun. Everything is sun-powered. 
Um, but um, I thought of a good example to give you about this and um, just between relationships between different kinds of animals and plants and things. And uh, I wish I should have sent you, a, just thinking back of it, I should have sent you a picture of a coral because that's one of the things I work on is corals and coral reefs. And um, if you can imagine a coral, a lot of people think they're rocks. If you don't know what a coral is, I, I authorize you to look up your phone and, and look up a coral reef or a coral. But if you remember it, don't pull up your phone. Um, <laughs> but uh, corals, they have a super interesting um, thing going on with them. They grow in really nutrient poor waters. They grow in clear waters in the tropics. And to survive, they need to be in relationship with microscopic algae that we call zooxanthellae. So inside the coral lives a little algae. And that algae basically powers the coral and then it lives off of coral waste. So it feeds on coral poop, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it gives sugars and nutrients back to the coral. And that's how they can survive in these really uh, nutrient poor waters. So there's numerous examples of this kind of nutrient recycling and exchange between different organisms in nature that um, really point to how we should be living our life instead of just using something that is finite. We should be using something that is reusable and recyclable and uh, using unlimited power from the sun instead of just limited power from oil. Yeah. Uh, so you spend a fair amount of time underwater. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. What's that experience like for you scientifically, but also what's that experience like for you in terms of, I, I mean, I suppose like anything, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. But I, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about the experience in terms of like the awe or wonder mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've still do, I mean, I've every uh, three or four months, I go out to the field to different parts of the world, mostly in the tropics diving in coral reefs and every time I do dive I it's just that sense comes back to me and uh, you look at it and you kind of get hit by it but one of the things that um, has impressed me the most is that I've been doing this for about 30 years or so and this these 30 years coincidentally are the years when coral reefs which are the system that I work on decline the most mm -hmm. so I've seen the decline in my in my lifetime and I, I can't tell you how, how much of a sense of urgency I have in, in trying to protect and save them because they're going downhill like there's no reverse anymore. It's just crazy. Yeah. So we were talking about the Caribbean reefs and the Great Barrier Reef. It's everything. The Great Barrier Reef um, is what's being talked about the most now, mostly because we have social media and we have a good connection in society, but 20 years ago, so what ha what's happening to the Great Barrier Reef today happened to the Caribbean 20 or 30 years ago. So a lot of other coral reefs in the world are even in worse shape than the Great Barrier Reef is, and, and people don't even know about it. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about like barrier reefing. And yeah, so that relationship that I talked about between the coral and the algae, as I just said, it's what keeps the coral alive. So when the waters, they raise corals, they have a very uh, strict temperature tolerance. They have a temperature optimal that is, is very narrow. So if the temperature goes above what they're used to by just, I don't know, three quarters of a degree or half a degree, they, they bleach. And basically bleaching is the coral expelling that algae that gives them food. Um, and the algae is also what gives them the color. So when they expel the algae, they turn white. Um, so if that 
pool of hot water sits on top of them for long enough, um, they starve to death because they don't have the algae to give them food anymore. If it, if it becomes cold again, then the, well, the algae comes back in and they, they continue to normal. But what happened in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, so the, Austra the Great Barrier Reef is the largest natural system built by organisms in the, in the planet. Uh, you can see it from space. Um, so, and about half of it died in the last two years because of super warm water, something that had never happened in in history, we know that because we can core, we can take corals when they grow, they leave those rings just like plants do, and then we can drill the coral reef all the way down to where it starts, and then look at the rings of it growing. So we know that uh, an event that's what's happening today there with half of it dying has never happened in recorded history before. Um, and it's mostly caused by hot water, yeah. warm temperature. So, um, one of the things that's being done to try to restore reefs, as I understand it, is, is it uh, little concrete blocks they're making and growing new coral on and dropping them? Right, right, yeah. So, um, yeah, so when the coral reefs, when they die like that, it's not every single coral that dies on a reef, but it's, a, I don't know, a percentage of it. In the case of the Barrier Reef, it was about 50% of it. So there's corals that survive, but corals, they have a really interesting way to reproduce. They spawn um, on the same night at the same time and all of their eggs and sperm go in the water and they get fertilized and then come back as babies. But that type of reproduction only um, works if there's a lot of corals of the same species close together. Mm -hmm. uh, so what these bleaching events are doing is that they're, they're causing the coral populations to decline by so much that the, the gametes from one coral don't mix the gametes from the other and they don't have successful reproduction. So one of the things we're doing at the academy is trying to develop these methods to artificial, to go, go back, going in the field, catch those gametes when they spawn and then put them together in a lab and then put the babies between the corals that are widely sparse so that when they grow, they can kind of reproduce and make a viable population again. Um, so something we talk about at Bay Marin a fair amount is, is the integration of relationships, uh, God, others, self, and the planet. planet. Um, talk a little bit about the integration of relationships and how these relationships affect one another, how they're all connected and we can't just pull them apart. Right, right. Um, yeah, so just following the theme of coral reefs, uh, when people think about coral reefs, they only think about the coral, but in reality, corals on a coral reef, they're the builders, they build the structure, and then everything else um, comes along with it. So all of the fish that you see in a coral reef, they depend on coral one way or another, either for structure or for food or indirectly for food. So something else goes eat the coral and the fish eats, eats that. Uh, so everything in the coral reef is kind of interconnected and the base of everything is, is corals. Just like here on land, the base of everything is plants. Um, so when you wipe out all of the coral, but like what was happening in the coral reefs now, everything is else kind of cascades down and, and, and disappears. Um, so it's really sad what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was uh, listening to a podcast recently where they're talking, uh, this guy had interviewed numerous actors uh, and 
about their experience. And a number of them have had what's called an overview experience, kind of this, this mystical experience uh, from space looking back at Earth. And one of them talked about how, you know, it, uh, he was on one of the Apollo missions. And, you know, we went to, uh, we went to space to get to the moon, but what we really discovered was the Earth. Uh, and this idea that we're, we're all a part of this one planet, that when they left Earth, it was like, you know, leaving uh, a city, looking down, and then seeing maybe Texas, and then the United States, and then North America, and then just this blue dot. We're, we're all in this together. And for you, as someone who's passionate about the oceans, and we recognize that these oceans belong to all of us. They, they don't belong to any one nation state. They belong to all of us. What, what does it look like for us as we move into the future to begin to have a greater awareness of uh, our Earth citizenship uh, and not just our citizenship of a specific nation state and what that means for us as humanity, recognizing we're all in this together? Yeah, so yeah, I think I have somewhat of a similar perspective to what uh, astronauts do because I go to a very remote places and sometimes it's like a week on a ship just to get to the place where I'm going to with an un completely uninhabited, theoretically untouched and, and more often than not, I would say, I don't know, 80 or 90% of the time, even when I go to those super remote, far distant places and I dive in, the first time I see, or at least at one point in a dive, what I'll see is, is fishing line fishing debris or an anchor. Um, um, a lot of the dives that I do are really deep dives that very few other scientists do. So one of the dives that I did, the deepest dive that I've done in the Philippines to 503 feet. Um, I mean, I was dressed like an astronaut with a bunch of tanks and everything. And the first time I, the first, when I got there, it was super dark because the, the water, I mean, even though it was a dive at 11 o'clock in the morning, the surface water was turbid. So the lights don't penetrate that, that far down. So it was like a night dive and I could see from a distance some bright blue thing that I didn't know what it was. And this is a place that nobody has ever seen before. So it's, it's as remote as you can get on earth. It's either going down or it goes too far up. Uh, but 500 feet, I see this blue thing and I get close to it. I mean, I thought it was a sponge or something. When I get close to it, it's a piece of plastic. So when you get to a place that nobody has ever seen before, as remote as it gets, and um, the first thing you see is a sign of human impact that makes mm -hmm. you realize how small the planet is and, and how much of impact humans are having. So for us as people of faith who uh, believe we're entrusted with this planet, some of this information can feel rather daunting, like, oh my goodness, what, you know, what's happening to the planet? What are some just really practical things people can do in their day-to-day -day life right. uh, to help care for God's creation? Yeah, I think there's a number of different things you can do. Little ones um, from reducing your use of plastic to eating less beef to living a more sustainable life. And those are small changes that would account for a small percentage. But there's one small thing you can do that can make a big impact. It's voting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think we're past the point where the small things are going to change something. I mean, it has to be policy change. Even every person of faith in this country changed 
their their habits to more sustainable it would still it would have a dent but not necessarily change the course of history right now the only thing that could change the course of history would be policy change and the only way to affect policy change is voting so vote <laughs> there you go you have the right get out and vote um luis thank you so much thank for you doing this this is fantastic <laughs> So the uh, last couple of Sundays, we've done something a little different, a little unique, and uh, uh, I've enjoyed it and hope you have as well. And we're going to end our service this morning doing what we do every week together as a community of faith, and that's coming to this table and partaking of the bread and the cup and being reminded uh, that Jesus, uh, our Savior, the one who came in the flesh, to redeem all of us, uh, to redeem this planet. Jesus uh, gave us this physical reminder, things from the earth, uh, bread and juice. And Jesus invites us to partake and to remember, uh, to remember what Jesus has done for us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you that you are present to us here. And God, this morning, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, God, I pray that you would remind us all the more of your love for us. God, that you would wake us up to the human family and the ways we can be the humans you created us to be, to be people who care for and, and live sustainable lives for each other and for the planet. God, uh, remind us again of the biblical story and your invitation to us to be people who are cultivators of this beautiful place and caretakers of this beautiful place. Fill us with your spirit and lead and guide us into all that you intend for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.